complicated troubleshoot. Um, my microphone wasn't on. <laughs> okay, dude, did that happen to me? I was like, fuck, all my wires are not plugged in. And then I realized it was off. Welcome to Making It at an Opera, a podcast about what it really means to find your voice and use it. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Kuhlman. I'm so psyched to have the ladies from the Thrilled to Announce podcast here, Charlotte Jackson and Perry Christina. They describe what they've created with Thrilled to Announce as a leftist opera dream space, a podcast, a meme factory, and a quick look between two friends. They talk about all the weird gossip that goes on in the opera industry, online and IRL. They talk about all the weird shit that goes down at young artist programs. They do deep dives into forming an idea of health and self-respect as a young artist. And I'm really just scratching the surface here. My favorite part, though, and what underlies all of their discussion is this rooting in philosophy and spirituality that puts every discussion about our industry into a perspective of what's going on in the world. They'll be talking about young artist programs and go into a discussion of workers' rights, Marxism, and union organizing. They'll be talking about vocal health and go into a deep discussion about whether Descartes was really full of shit. Their podcast is this hopeful beacon of what the opera industry could become now that we're having these conversations, now that the very people who are being asked to enter the industry pipeline of student loans, pay to sings, and underpaid young artist programs are looking around and seeing it for what it ends up being for most people. A scam. They're funny as hell and cooler than I have license to be, and they've been giving me life throughout the pandemic. I'm so thrilled to announce that they're here to share their own journeys with you today. So, first of all, welcome, Charlotte and Perry. Hi. Thanks for having us. I am so fucking honored to have you here. Um, We're honored. Thank you. Yeah. You guys are literally the people I wish I could have been. When I finally looked up at 33 and realized, like, oh, I've been trying to make it according to the standards of an industry rather than making it according to my own standards and making my own life and seeing where my art fits into that and what I want to say with it. And I was like, I was 33 and I was like, why did I figure this out 10 years ago? I could have stopped. I could have saved so much time and it kind of couples with the growth for me of making this podcast of like you know you can say what you want to say it feels really scary because you have silenced your own voice for so long thinking that you're like that you need to mold yourself into the shape of what you think other people want from you Mm -hmm. and I'm so interested in like you guys figured this out way before me. I actually don't know how old you guys are. 
you are definitely you're young in spirit and wise at the same time so you don't have to tell me your age you can't if you want um I'll tell mine just because I feel like every passing year with like yap stuff people like hyper analyze yeah like, and we're the same age at, so yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah spoiler um <laughs> we're 28 <laughs> and it's like to your point I feel like people have also figured this stuff out at like 21 and I mm-hmm. look to them and yeah. I'm just like fuck like what was I doing at 21 like it's just it I feel like it's just like in a moment in time where we're all like wait like regardless of age you know what I mean like yeah. we're all kind of realizing this yeah I mean I think the I think the pandemic really like fast forwarded it for a lot of folks yeah I came to it in 2018 mm-hmm. with, mm. and it was really out of I actually want to start a family with my husband, but I feel like I can't until I get this fucking career going. Right. And then it was like, wait, that's depressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was it for you guys? Listening to your podcast, I think it is kind of morphing. So I'm interested also in how is that growing as you are having these conversations? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of questions at once, but you know, go with what touches you. So I had asked Charlotte to do a podcast with me actually before the pandemic. I believe we started in like February 2020 and I was like renting mics from my grad school and we recorded an episode in my tiny studio apartment Um, and like it was okay. It was like fine, but we didn't exactly know like what we were doing. I just knew that Charlotte and I had been hanging out a couple times. We met in 2015, but like weren't like hanging out regularly. We started hanging out regularly and I was like, God, we're having such good conversations. Um, I feel like we should record them, but that was kind of the extent. And I also had a title. I I knew I wanted to call it thrilled to announce. (laughs) I didn't know what it was going to be like, but I knew that was the title. So I asked her to do this. We started recording then the pandemic happened and like we scattered. Then when um, the Black Lives Matter stuff started happening, I was like, I think that we need to talk about this like in opera. Should we like do this podcast for real now, Charlotte? (laughs) Um, And that's when it like really started, which was like in April or May, we started thinking about it and it came out in July of 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, it was like a huge impetus. And I think we both talked about that in our initial like posts on our Rinstas, I guess I should, our real Instagrams, like our personal Instagrams. <laughs> oh. We both have fake Instagrams or Finstas, if you will. Um, <laughs> so on our Rinstas, when we posted about Thrilled to Announce for the first time, I think we both mentioned that of as like, you know, this is something that we can speak up on and we have the time and energy right now. And mm-hmm. it obviously sparked larger conversations that were that all tied in. It's all kind of like a nexus of like how the opera world interacts with its community and vice versa. Um, but that's, that's where it started. And yeah, I feel like it's grown into, it's so hard to categorize exactly like what we touch on and what we don't, but it's definitely turned into this like dream space. I really like that word mm-hmm. where, you know, we have whole episodes about friendship, you know, it's not like always the most difficult topic. Sometimes it's also just like, talking among friends about what's on our hearts um and that's really nice too so I guess that's how it's morphed yeah (laughs) and I think we both love to like have a little theory as many people do but we're like always like sharing little theories with each other and like seeing how things grow and I think that makes it seem very um 
the episodes aren't themselves organic, but like the ideas and like the themes that we touch on, like don't have like a common thread, but like you can tell they're all connected somehow. Like the friendship Mm -hmm. episode is very connected to the episode we did about like authenticity, even though we weren't talking about friendship within the authenticity episode. It's about like um, Mm -hmm. being connected, being a collective, um, having relationships that extend beyond like what it means to be an opera singer. Um, So -hmm. like, will either of us will like share a concept and then we'll kind of like separate and do our own research and then come together and create like this like crazy outline of like where we want to go and like what like the end of the episode will be it's really fun yeah (laughs) and also like you're just making you're making me think Perry like it actually it's true like that was also connected with our first episode in that like alienation of labor and like feeling disconnected from like being able to speak up about like politics that are not radical just like very fundamental to being human and not feeling like you can speak about that not knowing who your people are and like how you can band together in that way like they are all connected it's kind of just about like feeling more human in like an industry that's Mm -hmm. trying really hard to like like make that not happen for you and so that does have to do with politics and it does have to do with like your spirit it's like all of it you know and it's so interesting to me because It's an industry that was built to support an art form. Art forms are here to support the expressions of our humanity. And it's so, that's why I love your conversations because it's, it's kind of helping us all to, to come back to like, why are we all here in the first place? Mm -hmm. Why is it, why do I not know where my people are if, I'm actually here in a room with a bunch of humans who want to express their humanity. We don't feel safe on a certain level to do that. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's Gwendolyn. If you think these conversations are important, be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at makingit.opera. That's making it without the G. You can also support the podcast by going to makingitinopera.com and making a donation. That's making it an opera, always without the G. And listeners, every once in a while, I want to make a podcast to just workshop this question with all of you. And for that, I need your help. Record a voice memo of yourself telling me what has been the most fulfilling thing you've done with your art and what it means to you to make it. And email that file to me at makingitanopera at gmail.com. Let's keep changing the narrative together. Okay, back to the show. What was your big dream when you started all of this, all of this opera stuff? And when did, when did you start to kind of open your eyes to that? When did you just kind of start looking around and being like, oh, wait a minute. I feel like I need to read some Marxist theory. Like, <laughs> um, I, this is kind of like a negative statement, but whenever people ask me about like how I got into opera, I say that nobody stopped me. Um, I kind of started... <laughs> I started singing, I always sang, and then I went to undergrad because I wanted to, and everyone was like, okay, do it. Um, And I majored in philosophy as well in my undergrad, but I did not really like combine the two for very long after that. They were like two totally separate worlds. Um, And I was just like plugging along 
going to these fucking pay to sings, not really thinking twice about it, kind of assuming I was thinking about this actually, because this is a very weird season in a lot of people's lives, I think, of reapplying to things, saying, have I changed? Like, has my mentality changed about like auditioning? Um, if it has and my actions haven't changed, what does that mean? Like a lot of I've had a lot of weird conversations the past couple of weeks. So I've been thinking. You know, when I was 21, I was like, oh, by the time I'm 28, like, I'll be like a professional singer. Things will be great. Uh, I'll, it'll be all sorted out. I'll just keep doing this thing and then it'll happen. But it really wasn't until the pandemic when I was like, I'm okay with the fact that that is not going to happen. And now I can like forge my own path. But up until that point, like I was still like fingers crossed, like doing the application bullshit every year, just like mass applying to everything. So it really wasn't until like 2020 when I was like, okay. I'm making this decision that it might fuck me over, which is, you know, speaking publicly about this stuff. And I have to be okay with that. And because of that, my trajectory has changed. Wow. Yeah. But at the same time, you are privately having conversations like this with Charlotte. Yeah. It's kind of hard to say like what we admit to ourselves and to each other while we're still trying. Yeah. 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 Like what we mm. say or like what we say in like these private Facebook groups mm. versus like what we say openly, what we say in these conversations mm. between each other versus like what we say on right. a public platform. I wasn't ready to say any of this publicly until 2020. But when was I? I was thinking mm. about but that first episode when I was saying that the singer is, you know, the the product and the worker um, and, you know, basically mm. the person who's purchasing the product, um, that was an idea that had been festering for a while, probably like a year. Mm. I listened to you say that and I was just like, how did she get that? <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and the consumer, that's the word I forgot. The worker, the product and the consumer. <laughs> right. Um, Charlotte, I'm interested in hearing your point of view on that, like how you came how you came to feeling okay that like something's got to be said I'm the one with the thoughts and need to let them out totally yeah I think for the the way I got into opera it's just I was playing violin my whole life and then I was like oh I'll take voice lessons for fun and then I was like oh I really love this Da, 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 da. no one stopped me same <laughs> vibe end up in grad school it's really fun I'm loving the universe of it I love anything that's like a craft that you just like delve into heavily and it's extremely detailed and you will never run out of information to learn about it mm. uh, a little ADHD hyperfixation, <laughs> but for like 10 years um and yeah I guess for me like uh I've I don't know. I always am like slightly contrarian. We don't need to figure out why that is, but that's just <laughs> the case. So I'm always like a little pissed about stuff. And I think like, it's really easy to be pissed about stuff when you're a soprano because you're just getting shit on all the time. Um, and like, I mean, it's really like a lot, anything that has like a high applicant pool. And so that's not literally just sopranos, but it's definitely sopranos. Um, and I think when I realized how like, okay, so my teacher in undergrad grew up, like also started in North Carolina, just like I did and was like, oh, just apply to Brevard and go, which like, I actually have gone to Brevard, but it did not just take like one random audition in undergrad. Like I had to be up to snuff for that. And like, I think for him, like I studied under him and learned about the opera world from him um and for him to kind of act like it was just sort of a 
whatever thing you just work your way up and do it and then me realizing like that is very much not the case it's actually like a very 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 difficult path to even be somewhere in the middle um I think started to really get to me in like 2014-15 and then I met Perry at Miami Music Fest and I was walking around that place calling it a pyramid scheme Mm -hmm. all day I was so mad because they I was paying full price and I was doing very little and that's just nonsense like none of it makes any sense like I was getting I fell between the cracks there as did a lot of people in my like studio position Mm -hmm. and I went back again and did not have that experience which whatever that's cognitive dissonance that I even went back but here we are (laughs) um but so yeah I've been calling it a pyramid scheme for a while which I think is actually kind of like parallel to what Perry's saying of like Mm -hmm. you are consuming the thing that you're also selling yeah um it's very like LuLaRoe like buy the merch and then sell the merch like what are we doing have you guys watched that documentary I was just talking about this documentary with actually with a life coach who was like I kind of see it in my industry too really and I could totally see that. Yeah. 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 What's so interesting about hearing your y'all's perspective and this, this idea that you're talking about of the MLM or the just, you are the product and the consumer is that it, for me, it was kind of like that opened up for me as even a concept when I moved from Germany back to America, mm-hmm. like there's still this Germany is not perfect in any way, um, the industry there, but there is more, there's more possibility of being able to be paid a living wage while you're learning. So like coming back to America, like I still kind of expected to be paid a living wage for what I did. How dare you? How dare dare I? And and it was just like, I didn't come with representation. I didn't come with this big um, resume full of solo work. And I was going for solo gigs. So it was kind of like, well, nobody cares what you did on stage otherwise. And, And so it was kind of like going from feeling like, you know, you're doing pretty good. You're making a living to okay now you have to start from the beginning and you're in your early 30s and you know good luck and so like I'm hearing a lot of the things that you guys are coming to uh I guess that would have been like five four or five years before I did and if I can sum it up it's kind of like it took a couple of rounds of doing this to be like hey wait a minute and it's so easy to just kind of ride the wave, even when you're sort of failing, it's very easy if you have um, financial support, like I did, to kind of just ride the wave and be like, next year, I'll be fine. I'll go to this kind of shitty program. I'll go to this thing that doesn't pay me, but like, it'll be fine. And just kind of like not think about it, which makes it easier to just kind of like bury that shit or to like have a couple of conversations about it, but never really do anything about it because it's not like really internalized in you because you're still just like, hoping for next year. And that's kind of like the way that the model functions. And that's kind of how it functions. It just has to kind of keep getting you back on to like ride it a little bit more, even just like if they can get two more years out of you, they'll be happy. Like two more audition seasons where you're paying these stupid fees and shit, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm. I think that's what finally switched it off for me was like funding it, like through like doing like wage labor 
And then like, that's just what, like, I think we all have like a righteous anger around this. And like, that's what sparked my righteous anger is I was just like, I worked how many days and weeks and months to pay for this. And I'm being treated like Mm -hmm. this. Um, and like, that was, that's just like weirdly a fast track to it because like some of these programs just up and up and up their prices. And like, I mean, thank God I was like, serving and fine dining. So I like was making enough money that I could like pull it off, but it wasn't cute. And then I was just like, I'm never doing this again. Like I, it took one year living in New York, paying for New York and then paying for a program to be like, <laughs> never again, never again. The way that I am spoken to with these programs and treated. Absolutely mm. not. Absolutely not. Like, I don't care what I do. Like, I'm just never going to be treated like this again. It became like this, like anger in me that I hadn't seen before. And I really appreciated that because I think we actually, this day and age, especially like women are like taught to like, just like be Zen and just like meditate and like, da, 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 da. And I actually think like anger is like one of the most important like tools that like women Mm. have. Um, and like finding my like, like rage about how fucked up this is, is like what pushed me to be like, I do want to be public about this. Like, I want to say these things. Like I want to show my teeth and like, not, not like just to like watch the world burn, but to like speak these truths. Like it felt like so fucking fundamentally important that I say these things out loud to like repair how I felt like cucked basically. Like it was just so unjust the way that I had been treated and all of us had been treated. And it felt like the only way to repair like something inside of me was to like take back my power by like saying this stuff out loud. And I think it was during the pandemic when everything just like felt so much less important. And it was just like, I don't give a shit if I like, what are we talking about? Like, what am I going to like, what are we fucking talking about? Like we just like the blinders Mm -hmm. were off because we got off the hamster wheel. Like Perry's exactly right. Like you, you weren't in the thing of like, oh, I'll just try next year. It's like, what the fuck is next year? It's like May of 2020. Like, babe, I'm just going to like do this now. Like it's done. Like I've had it. And you look around and you're like, wait a minute. So I have to pay to be in a program in order to like have the credentials to have a career. And yet the people who have the credentials to have a career are now now have these like force majeure clauses that mean their entire income for the rest of the year, the rest of the season, maybe next season is wiped out. And like, who is there for them? It was so devastating. Um, Like, it's interesting that you guys found your voices for this around the time of George Floyd's murder and um, the Black Lives Matter protests because um, I have been having a lot of thoughts around that in um, in preparing this podcast because I'm a I mean Charlotte you're from North Carolina where are you from Perry Connecticut Connecticut as a Southern white lady I have realized how how much I have been raised to if you don't have anything nice to say don't say it just keep your mouth shut. And mm. thinking about how much how much oppression do we um, do we perpetuate by needing to be liked, by needing to be nice and pleasing? Yeah. And um, like I love what you're saying about this. I had this fire in my belly. I was so angry that I just didn't give a shit anymore. Um, yeah. And I think that's. That's kind of what we're seeing 
throughout the opera industry right now and the kind of conversations that are coming up and what people feel okay to say. Mm-hmm. I'm interested, Perry, if you had if you had those same sorts of those same feelings of just being so angry. Um, angry, I'm not. I felt very frustrated. I don't know if I felt angry. I also felt like this feeling. I remember telling my boyfriend actually when we after we had recorded this first episode, I was like, this feels really right. Like I have a mm. feeling in my gut that this feels better than anything I've done since I graduated from undergrad. Um, that I this is something that I was sort of like meant to do and supposed to be doing, and that I had kind of been not lying to myself, but um like quieting a part of me that shouldn't have been quiet. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of Mm -hmm. proven to both of us, I think, by the response that we got. Like, wow, I've gotten more response from doing this sort of thing than I ever got from singing. Um, That involving this part of me was the right thing to do. And that it's something that has been sorely lacking from my artistry for years. And it's honestly probably part of the reasons why I was struggling so much that I, Mm. there was a whole other part of me that I was just totally ignoring. It's this Um, full integration. mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Mm. Um, So I guess, I mean, I probably, I definitely felt angry at Miami where Charlotte and I met. I was furious, but I was also dealing with a whole like slew of other random things. Um, and there's also, I feel like a type of anger that I felt at Peta Sings that felt very, um, like static and like not, there wasn't a lot of motion to it. It was very like frozen Mm. and like, not like I was going to do anything about anything. I just like wanted to complain. (laughs) Um, Mm. Mm -hmm. and that anger feels very different than like the momentum that I feel now of like doing things and talking to people and like reaching out to totally random people online and being like hey are you into this thing like let's do this thing together um which feels like a more positive anger just like positive in like a a creation sense not like you know a good thing yes yeah I think what I've been watching in you guys and I'd love to go more into the response because I think what you've done with this podcast is you've started to stand for you've started to stand for other artists. You've started to stand for people who have been through exactly what you've been through or might be on the precipice of like, you know, making that decision mm-hmm. um, about whether or not to go down this kind of industry pipeline. And you're over there like, hey, you were, you're worth way more than this. So I'm interested in what it's felt like to kind of be leaders in a community like that. And what kind of responses you've been getting from folks? Uh, wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, first yeah, of all, thank, thank you. you. That's really sweet. Um, <laughs> um, I feel like in terms of responses initially, I just, I just witnessed a lot of people. I think Perry did too, DMing us to tell their own stories, um, to sort of feel like this bond with us that like they understand. And like, it means a lot that someone's speaking on this, um, which we still get to this day. People will message us and say like, this happened. And I wanted you guys to know in case like you're talking about it, things like that happen a lot. Um, and then additionally, I just, I think that we had singers who were like getting a lot of work that would say like, this is incredible that you're doing this because a lot of people are in a position where it would really kind of mess with their lives if they were to be the ones to say this. And we were just like, great, I'm happy that we can be the ones to do this and that we're comfortable doing it because a lot of people just aren't, they have like, this is very precarious labor. And there's a lot of people who would be in a really 
bad position if they had decided to take the stand and like that's okay that like we have the time and energy and position to Mm -hmm. do it um yeah and also just like I mean you know there's a lot of people doing this work in their own ways and like they always have and like you know I think it's one thing I'm really happy about is that like it's very easy for to your point Gwendolyn about like being raised in the South. I was raised in DC, which is just like close Mm. enough to the South that it's like almost there. Um, and like, it's really easy for especially white women to just kind of like be complacent. And like, I don't, it's just a part of what unlearning being in the society is. And I think it's just like a very, I'm very happy that Perry and I just had like this switch go off. That was like, what the fuck? Like literally what the fuck? Like we need to be doing shit. And it was almost like, it's almost like this, this shame and embarrassment and frustration that can only be offset with taking action. Like it would have almost been easier to just kind of like go under a blanket and be like, Oh my God, like how did we go years without like doing something that we could have so easily done? And it's just like, but it's just a part of being human. You know what I mean? And like, we got to this point where like, we're going to fucking do this. And like, I just, I, it was just something that needed to be done. It was like a very truthful and powerful thing. And I think people responded to that and like, I'm sure other people in their own way have gone on to like take these little actions, but it's mostly like a seed planting. I like to think of it as, you know, like I'm sure we would like, like to do a lot of collective action and like, maybe we (laughs) will, but like, as of right now, it's a lot of like seed planting, just trying to let people feel more Mm. human and like in doing so trying to do that for ourselves as well. Just like repairing our inner worlds around how we've been treated, you know, cause that is, that is community. And like, that is collective healing and collective healing will lead to collective mm. action. We have to be like right in the head right. first, mm. you know, I'm interested in <laughs> the, I don't really want to like rip back open the scabs and stuff about like how people spoke to you at opera programs and such, but I am interested in like, what is that path to healing? What have you noticed has had to be healed in yourself to not only to be able to have these conversations, but you're now in a space where you, where you feel the power of being able to create, where your fire is now, is now kind of like a more of a stovetop rather than something that needs to like burn down a whole house for a moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm interested in the healing that has that you've needed to go through what moments have you had to look up and remind yourself that you're human I mean I have a few but Perry I want you to if it looks like you're about to say something so I want to let you do that (laughs) (laughs) well the first thing that came to mind is the issue I had in 2018 Mm. where my voice broke um and I had like been ignoring a lot of different parts of myself and I'm not sure that anything anyone was saying to me created that but it was more just like my own self-image um and like what I felt like I needed to be doing and saying uh wasn't like correct and so that and I had ignored those feelings for a long time ignored it until it like literally got to a breaking point and I couldn't phonate um and I think that was years of like mm. cumulative not listening to myself and um not following what I wanted to be doing and just like, again, going with the flow very naturally and simply and not really investigating why I was making the choices I was making or applying to the things I was applying for or singing the repertoire I was singing. Um, yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. And I feel like so much of this is just based Mm -hmm. around time. Like, did we have time to heal from this stuff? And like staying in the same cycle of applying to these things over and over, like we were being 
there was like mini traumas like all over the place at these programs at the way you're spoken to and like the way you're mistreated or like the way you're categorized but like there's just no time or energy to deal with it so we just kept trucking on but <clears throat> I guess the times where I felt like I had to remind myself that I'm human especially as a soprano and a coloratura soprano that's like in a lot of like soubretty sexy little vixeny roles like you're spoken to in such a way and seen in such a way that I think we talked about this in the authenticity episode briefly or like one episode, but like, it's hard to divorce like your characters, like sexual energy from like you as a person. Oh, we talked about this with Dardena, but it's not recorded, but it, yes, it was a great conversation. <laughs> right. It's wild. And like yeah. sexual energy is a really palpable and powerful force in the universe. Like I'm a big fan, but it's just like you pull on some of that even subconsciously to like play a certain character and like men can often have a hard time when they're in power separating that from who you are as a person that's just some socialized shit that we've all gotten ourselves into and here we are today and that is a lot of the instances broadly speaking that I've had to remind myself that I'm human um it's just like I it was like so many instances where I was just like I wish I was playing like an ugly witch you know what I mean or like I can't wait to like grow up one day and just be a crone like I literally was like ready to be like a crone archetype at like 20 I was like literally fuck mm -hmm. this this sucks like the way I'm being looked at and spoken to it's just such a mess because it's like I'm also paying to be here like it's literally cucking mm -hmm. is like the best word I have for it like it really just felt like we were being cucked and like I think I said this on the first episode we ever recorded I don't know what cucking is I feel like so out of it but it's when someone like wants to watch their partner or like their lover have sex with somebody else. It's like a, it kind of falls under like a humiliation kink to a degree, I'd say. Like, it's just like a degradation-y type vibe. Um, and it's becoming more and more popular. It's like one of the most popular things that gets looked up on um, porn websites. And there's been a lot of like think pieces of like, why, why is everyone into getting cucked right now? Like what? And being a mat feeling so emasculated and like turning that into something that you can get turned on by, like almost as like a coping mechanism. That's like one of my, my theories on cucking. <laughs> yeah. Like entering a space of like not being so hyper-masculine, like being able to be in like a safe space of not being hyper-masculine, like giving up that energy is like probably very relieving considering like masculinity can just like be exhausting the conversation that Charlotte and I had about this, I found really interesting. We were talking with um, another girl named Jardana, who's really cool. And Charlotte and I have such different experiences surrounding this. I wanted to say this too, but I didn't want to make you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> like yeah. almost like the opposite. Like I am a mezzo and I by far feel the most comfortable singing pants rolls that I'm tall. I get typecast as I walk into a room and people are like, oh, so which pants roll are you singing? Um, and I love it. I really like inhabiting that. I like acting that stuff on stage. I am terrified of doing like a sexy ingenue type character. I have never really done it that I can remember. I've never played like a pretty ingenue. 
I'm afraid I would fail. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of like being on stage, trying to be sexy and beautiful and people being like, wow, she's really trying to be sexy and beautiful. Like that's the projection that I give the audience. I'm so much more comfortable, like inhabiting this either non-sexual or, um, more masculine role. That's where I feel like I succeed and how people see me. And it is really daunting and scary to like begin embracing the sexier thing. And that's what I fantasize about how Charlotte fantasizes about like being the crone. It's like, man, if I could like, imagine if I could do an amazing Carmen, like that would be like insane. I couldn't do that. (laughs) Um, it's such a, it's such an interesting process of like learning how to see all of who we are and like get like the big the big like 99 crayon box and being able to color with it like I it was I was actually really touched when you were talking about like dreaming about being the crone or the mom because I'm like that's all anyone wants to cast me as (laughs) because I I'm more of a dramatic mezzo I walk in the room and I I've literally been told like you you look like the best friend like you're not the star of the show and um you're you know you're of a certain weight which is also just a whole other can of worms Mm -hmm. conversation um that that comes down to you as an artist starting to wonder you know is my worth directly connected to the number on the scale um is my voice directly connected to the number on the scale which is like the wildest question like it makes no sense (laughs) absolutely and like I love being sexy I love being sexy on I love like pulling on a costume and just feeling like sex when I open my mouth like uh, oh god that sounded gross okay we're gonna have to cut that (laughs) and and then to be told that you can't do that. That's not what, what anyone mess. wants to see What from a you. literal mess. Like, um, so fucked. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's nice not to really care anymore. And, um, and to, I had some moments in chorus where I got to just find that for myself and just do it. Um, I think that's a nice thing about being in chorus sometimes where you can just be like, I'm going to be a sexy right now and nobody is actually watching or really cares. And so I'm just going to do it. I had the exact same (laughs) experience. I was in a production of Rake's Progress and I had like that opening scene. There was like a steampunk like iteration of Rake's Progress. And I had like this crazy corset on. I'd never like worn anything like that on stage. And it was very fun. It was scary. Yeah. But it was very fun. But it was really only in a chorus situation where I felt comfortable like exploring that, honestly. Yeah being watched really changes like what you're able to give like not being watched can be really nice to like find some of these parts of yourself Mm -hmm. absolutely and especially not being watched by eyes that are greedy Mm -hmm. and have power over you which sounds like um I've been thinking a lot about that kind of that kind of power dynamic that comes up in a world where other people are in between you and your art. Other yeah. people are in between you and your expression. And I think that is, that's a place where I see your thought process is going, at least when I hear, when I hear your podcast. And it's, um, it's a place that I had to come to that, like, I actually don't need anybody to tell me that I can made, make art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Period. I can build my life in such a way 
Um, and I am also extremely privileged and lucky. So um, take everything I have to say with a freaking grain of salt. But I realize that I don't have to format my life in such a way that I have to have success in this industry in order to make this art. Right. And um, I'm wondering, like, are you starting to see all of the ways that people in your community, people in your movement are are starting to be like, you know what, fuck this. I'm just going to make something. I'd say yes and no. I feel um, very excited about the, the choices that I've been making. I'm very daunt. I feel a little like it's daunting and scary to be putting a lot of this stuff on the back burner, like this kind of audition circuit, whatever. Um, but I feel really excited about trying to make my own things. And like my head has been like swimming and churning. And I've been talking to a bunch of my friends who like, just really want to do a recital. Like what roles can we learn? Like what recitals can we do? It's like, yes, that would be incredible. Um, and envisioning that as like the goal, it's really exciting and feeling like if we complete that, we've completed a goal and it's not just a stepping stone. Like, okay, I want to do this recital so I can get a little more publicity right. so I can blah, blah, blah. Like, no, these performances are what's happening. Like, I'm not waiting for some future, some distant future. Mm. Uh, this is it. Like I'm living the life that I'm living right now. Yes. Um, in the present. Which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel excited. My power is mm. here right now yes. in this thing that I am making. Yeah. I think a lot of this, this impulse to go straight back into the audition circuit to, to just give it that good old try one more time is I, it's weird. I'm 36. I have a kid. I am not going on the audition circuit. It's not set up for me. And I don't want to, I don't want to try and make it work. I think if I wanted to try and make it work, plenty of moms do. And I am so behind them. Go represent us. We do not have enough voices with kids um, on stages. And I understand why. And it's totally okay if you don't have a kid. Um, but I think there's this, there's this almost intoxication with wanting to have legitimacy, with wanting someone to tell you that you're good enough. Or to just be able to tell like your random aunt that mm -hmm. like you have something mm -hmm. going on. Like, God, I could just yeah. like tell them a, a company that they recognize. And they can be like, oh, wow, she's like doing mm -hmm. something as opposed to like, what the she's fuck is Perry doing? Right. <laughs> no, I totally get that. Yeah. And also feeling like there's a direction and there's a path that makes sense that has been laid out before you and all you have to do is walk mm -hmm. down it exactly the second you get off that path who the fuck are you what are you going to do mm -hmm. you have to you have to actually figure out what you really want totally. and i've been and that is scary mm -hmm. i've been spinning out for three years in that space guys <laughs> it's hard i've been thinking a lot about the aesthetics of yap tracker and like how um cohesive and factual and logical it looks you know you fill out this little chart you say what you're singing you click these boxes you upload your video it feels so like productive mm -hmm. in a way that a lot of art making doesn't um Ooh. it can feel like you're like stuck in this quagmire of like not moving and you're like stuck in the mud and yap tracker kind of like lifts you up you're like i'm logging onto a website there's a lot of buttons it's to a click. dopamine I rush i feel like i can like check something off my to-do mm -hmm. list and it's hard to resist that um, it's very seductive, uh, but I think it's mostly meaningless. Yep. Mm. And I, I think we're also told in school 
that there is a system where you can get legitimacy, where people can tell you that you can make this art. And I think it's very unintentional. I do not think that the teachers or administrators mean to to kind of be passing that on. But at, like I was thinking today about how for a long time, I didn't think that when I self-produced something that it really meant anything. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because I was told like, if you put that on your resume, nobody's going to care. And so it made me think, okay, well, it doesn't matter. If it mm-hmm. doesn't matter on my resume, then it doesn't matter. And right. that's so not true. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of this, it's kind of, we set up this narrative in our heads of, other people really have to tell us if our art is is legitimate or good enough or should even be here. Yeah. And I think that that like goes back to this incredible conversation you guys had about um, sexual abuse in opera, where it's just you're in these situations where the power dynamic is so off. Mm-hmm. Like we should be equals with the people that we're making music with with the people that we're in a show with Mm -hmm. and making a show with and in actuality the way it feels in these programs is this person has your future in their Mm -hmm. hands totally the stakes are so high in our minds it's like we're Mm -hmm. they're bestowing this knowledge upon Mm -hmm. us it's it's like a real academic vibe like you know up until as long as they can, as long as we'll accept it, you know, they'll bestow it upon us. Uh, mm-hmm. And it feels so normal. It's hard to imagine like a program where that doesn't happen. Yeah. Like that would be kind of freaky. <laughs> I think it's the way things should go, but like, oh my God, I remember, I think mm-hmm. I've t- I told this story so many times, but it's like that story that I told you, Gwendolyn, and I've told Charlotte, I don't know how many times uh, when I was working with a student composer mm-hmm. and on stage during his recital, he asked me what order he wanted I wanted to sing the songs in and I was like what the fuck are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) like first of all asking me my opinion second of all doing it on stage during the show (laughs) Jesus man (laughs) get yourself to a mental hospital um yeah and that kind of like showed me how absurd so much of like my education had been like that I freaked out about that and sputtered about it it's like oh my god it's like the smallest deal um yeah Mm. like this collaborative feeling yeah it feels like Mm. unhinged literally Mm -hmm. and also it like ties in with to me with the feeling of like saying that when you kind of leave the like the hamster wheel you feel like you've been spinning out for the last few years of just like what do I do I also like I've thought a lot about somebody in my um, master's program after the first year, um, they didn't get any roles and they were just like, okay, well, this is literally like $70,000 a year. So I'm going to leave because this obviously makes no sense. So I'm going to go. And like, we were so indoctrinated at the time, like full LuLaRoe that we were just like, oh my God, like they're le- <laughs> like, where do they go when they leave? Like where it's like leaving they the, go to heaven yeah it's like leaving the church like it was literally like oh my god they're they're damned like where they they're gonna right. fall off the map and like not exist and now like this person like mm. sings and like is like married and has a great life and like sings locally and like where they live and they're just like fine and like everything's fine but like you become so indoctrinated it's literally I used to um when we started the podcast um I used to think of it as like Mary Kay because like Mary Kay has like top sellers 
And I think that it's like important to remember that like there are people that just like rise through the ranks and they're just like exceptional singers and that's like totally fine. And those people exist. And like, but those people are shown Mm -hmm. to us as the way that it can exist for us too. And that's not always the case. Like there's a handful of like exceptional singers, but then I feel like everyone's shown like the Mary Kay top seller who like has the pink van and like is living their life. And it's like, that's how they get you in the pyramid scheme, you know? And so everyone else is just like, okay, I can be a top seller too. If I just like do all this stuff. And it's like, that's not true for everyone. You know, anyway, there's a lot of pyramid scheme Mm. parallels. I've been thinking about a lot recently. In that LuLaRoe documentary, they tell you some statistics and they say that I think it's less than 1% of people are the ones who are making, you know, some people at LuLaRoe are making like 40 K a month. Um, off of LuLaRoe. There were success stories where Mm -hmm. people were doing it. And then there were 5% or I would say maybe 15% of people who are making any money at all from LuLaRoe. Mm -hmm. And then the bottom 85%, if I did the math correctly, make no money, zero (laughs) dollars. There's absolutely no profit. Um, But you only see the people who are like spinning off at the top and you're like, well, someone in this group of people is doing really well. So like, why can't it be me next? Right. Um, it's mm. incredible. It's a really smart system. Uh-huh. I mean, it's evil, but it's very smart. It got us. <laughs> I mean, damn. Yeah, it got yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I. one thing I'm having on people that I, that I really admire, that I feel like have really found their voice and... Um, and I remember myself when I, when I hit my late, late 20s, early 30s was when I started seeing people just like, you know what, I need to go in a different direction with my life. And I remember saying things to them like, oh, it'll be such a shame. You have such a beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, well, maybe they'll actually be able to share it more honestly and more completely yeah. doing something else where they're going to be appreciated. but also one thing I'm noticing it in the soloists, the people, I guess, in your metaphor who have, who have these um, pink minivans. Yeah. They get their pink minivans. Um, It's like a 90s thing. I feel like. Why would you want a minivan? It's so 90s, you know? At first I was like picturing a pink Corvette. Yeah. I'll do that. Shit. I'll be a Mary Kay top seller for that. Sign me up. Let's go. (laughs) Um. But like the people I admire most who are at the top right now are people I know where it like shines through at every moment. They're not here just for them. They're not here because they want to be the top. Mm-hmm. They're here because something something deeper motivates them and it actually stands for a larger community. And I think just this way we're being taught to be employees rather than to be executives, like to be, to be a cog in the wheel rather than to be part of the process of making it, of making the wheel. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I say making it a lot now. No, it's great. Right. You have to copyright <laughs> to it. My podcast. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> please give me money every time you say making it. Uh, every time you say making it an opera, maybe everybody will stop trying to make it an opera. But like that it's more than it's more than just trying to make it an opera for them. Like if someone took opera away from them, they would find another way to 
have their expression and to serve their community. And I'm still kind of formulating like what that means. And if it means that we all have to feel like we're in service to something and we're like, what if we just don't fucking feel like it and just want to make art? Like that's probably enough too. Yeah. Like, I think- maybe just doing that is standing for other people as well. Yeah, I agree. I guess I'd have to really think, I need to like take a day and think about like what singers do I respect the most and why do I think I respect them? So I can't really speak to that right now because I can't, I'd have to like make a list in my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that just doing it for art is doing it for something, right? Mm. I think that's standing for enough. But yeah, I'd have to think about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm thinking about some sing. I mean, yeah, I can't make a general statement either, but I am thinking about some singers I know who um you know during the pandemic like had incredible other things they did with their time and were just like exceptional at everything else that they did too (laughs) and like that was really cool um and like are more committed to expression or doing or craft than they are to a specific expression or specific doing or specific craft and I think ideally maybe this is a point that I'm going to try to make let's see how it comes out I think people who are committed to doing and expressing beyond just the specific medium have found an artistic truth. And I think when I find for, I'm just going to speak for myself, when I am trying really hard to just make it an opera, I don't feel like I'm making authentic art. I don't feel that I can translate it to other mediums because I don't know what my point is or like my messages mm-hmm. or like my, like my, my, like, um, fun thing that I'm getting out of it is because I am just um chasing this validation that I'm not getting and has nothing to do with me and it's not organic and it's not coming from me and that's that's just me as a cog in the system and I know that there's there's exceptions across the board people who are highly successful or people who are trying to make it there's there's plenty of exceptions within those that's just where I see myself is that I don't feel like I have found the thing yet like sometimes when I like witnessed myself desperate to make it an opera I was like well could I make like a fucking I don't know table out of wood and enjoy that no I can't enjoy anything right now because I'm just so fucking pissed that like no one's listening to my like art Mm -hmm. like and that's Mm -hmm. and I feel like I don't know I, I I'm gonna make a comparison really fast to see if this is helpful I am deep on lesbian TikTok I don't know why it's a great place to be and um I've I've there's this one person I think she's like 22 or something like she's so young but she just literally I she just talks about like theory of like and history of like lesbian like thought and it's like really fun and so this one person um wrote in and was like you know I it's so funny like I found that I like mourned my ex-boyfriend so much even though like a part of me didn't even like want to be with or like didn't even feel right about it and she wrote back and she's like there's actually a term for this in psychology and it's like this interesting thing of like when you actually don't get something that you don't really want it like weirdly pisses you off more like I don't know if that makes sense it might not but basically like you're just, you know, you're spinning in the mud. It's like, fuck, I chased after this thing this whole time. I didn't even fucking want it. And it's like pissing me off even more. And I feel like that's how I feel about opera is like, I didn't get it, but I'm actually more pissed that I like fought for so long for something that's like not even that deep. And so you're just pissed about all of it. You know what I mean? Whereas like some of these people at the top are like, guess I'll go make a table. It's a pandemic. And I'm like, how are you so chill? Like, I'm so mad, (laughs) you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's that's my best thought about I that. Think, I got. <laughs> um, I've been having a mantra lately because I finally heard this quote, and then I heard it like three different places, and I was like, okay, everybody knew this quote, and I just heard it. <laughs> um, and it's Bono of all people who was like, um, "You can never get enough of what you don't need." Yeah. <laughs> holy shit right it's so true (laughs) like I could never get enough validation I can never get like enough success to the point that like what I did do that was actually pretty cool like I'm looking back on my life and assessing things as I'm realizing like if I'm gonna ask other people to tell their stories vulnerably I probably should be able to tell my own and I'm like wow lived a pretty cool life made some pretty cool art and uh the whole time I thought the whole time I thought I was failing. Yeah. How sad. Totally. So I don't know if that's exactly the point that you were making, but I just wanted to bring that to the table. I'm really happy it like resonates because it's kind of like cognitive dissonancy. It's like a little adjacent, but like I've thought a lot about that TikTok about lesbian theory in the past couple <laughs> of years as it relates to opera. So I'm happy that resonates. <laughs> and you guys, uh, so you guys, listeners, um, I want to make sure, you know, I'm going to try and link the episode, the different episodes we're talking about. Carrie, oh. I thought your episode about uh, your um, losing your voice was so profound. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that story. Thank you. Um, y'all's episode about um, the sexual abuse in opera and, oh, decolonization of bodies was that yeah, the, same the same one yeah it feels your... like it's too it could oh, have been that was just so it was very fucking it, long. it was so good <laughs> and uh and is it's probably already clear in the way that you guys kind of run your podcast is it's like we're presented with an issue that came from opera and then we like zoom out and see how all of this is like a microcosm of a culture that has a certain history and a certain set of values that may or may not be completely screwy. And Terry, you bring in your philosophy, mm-hmm. um, knowledge, and Charlotte, I've noticed you often bring in a kind of spiritual or like body work element. Love that. <laughs> I'm curious about the roots of that. Like we know, Perry, you had your other um, <laughs> degree in philosophy. And that's been kind of an integration. And Charlotte, what, where did that come from? Yeah, for you? that's a really good question. I feel like I'm still in the process of unraveling it. So it's almost hard to know exactly where, but um, I grew up in a church setting. And um, I think though I now believe that, who cares what I believe about that? I don't want to offend people who believe stuff, but, um, (laughs) but I definitely like had a deep connection to my spirituality my whole life. And I've just, um, found new words and mediums and ways to approach that. And it's been a really important part of figuring out my humanity and also a very like fun path of like, um, kind of rewinding and like studying human histories, like studying, like how people interact with the invisible. That's a phrase that I like a lot. Um, And then the bodywork element, I think, came from realizing how much of my spiritual 
journey is stored in my body. Um, and I think that was probably the most important discovery I made in my journey about like spirituality and like under, like interacting with the invisible as a human on earth, whatever that might be to you, be it a God, be it like how you interact with your emotions, how you interact with your, I don't know, self-help stuff, whatever. Um, realizing that a lot of it, you can like think and think and think and think. But at the end of the day, like I realized by doing body work, I made more progress on understanding my world and interacting with my world in a healthy way than I ever did with anything else. Um, so finding the connections with that, I think it was just a process of like trying to figure out who I am, I guess. I don't know. It was, it's really like a very basic, like human, like following the thread of like coming of age and you know I don't know we all have our childhood stuff that gets us to where we are today but I just went went down that path and it really worked for me um Alexander technique I'd say is where I started to make the connections between like my spiritual practice unwinding my Christianity and like instead just looking at like the world as a whole in terms of my spirituality and then also like finding out how much I could learn about myself and grow through body work. Alexander Technique changed my fucking life. It changed my fucking life completely. Um, and then from there, like somatic experiencing and like nervous system regulation in general, I'd say are probably like the biggest body work elements that I love to chit chat about. But yeah, I don't know. I, it's really just singing as well. I also like, I typically like say, like if I never, I used to say this a lot, like if I never, like end up professionally singing opera. Like one thing I do know is that like singing saved my life because I like developed a relationship with my body that I had never had before. And like, that was like extremely necessary to like me being a healthy person today. So yeah, I guess singing is probably a lot of how I got into body work and spirituality was just a part of me, like figuring out why the church was like pissing me off. And then I don't know, now I like do tarot cards. Like, I don't know, you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> Have you come to certain realizations within the conversations or within your body, Perry, since having these sorts of conversations, but also in your work as a singer? Um, yes. You mean with Charlotte? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Charlotte has totally changed my perspective on so many things. I think, um, so I might've talked to you about this at some point, but I didn't really know like why I felt so strongly that Charlotte and I needed to do this together. Like there was no doubt in my mind. And I talked about it with my therapist a lot. And I think that Charlotte, like I get a little weighed down. I can be a little pessimistic. I think I'm pretty good at um, diagnosing problems. And then I'm like, and that's the end of that. <laughs> and so <laughs> and now I we brought, know what's wrong with that. Yeah. And so I brought several times, at least I would say four times, I brought an idea to Charlotte that I felt like was like done. It's like, okay, here's my idea that I have, like, let's do it. And Charlotte was able to spin the narrative into this like beautiful blossoming spiritual experience that I literally never would have been able to get to. Like she is able to kind of like lift me up a little bit and be like, oh, and it's not the end of the world that I feel that way. Or like there is like a solution to that problem. Um, I especially felt that in the authenticity episode that she was able to like spin. I fucking hate like wearing these opera dresses, whatever. I feel so fake. So I was like, I want to do an episode about that there's the episode. It fucking sucks. 
And Charlotte was like, okay, but like, also aren't we like video game characters and like, we're putting on a different avatar when we're like singing opera and like the avatars are all like, you know, different reflections of ourselves. And I was like, yeah. And I feel so much better about doing that now. (laughs) And that's happened several times. Um, where I'm just able to kind of like feel less like pressingly negative about the things that I'm thinking. There's one other time that happened pretty recently. I'm trying to remember. Well, I love the way that um, I love the direction that Charlotte took my broken voices story in. I thought that was so interesting with like critiquing Descartes. But yeah, I feel much, honestly, I feel a lot more judgmental after interacting with Charlotte a lot. I'm able to like, take the way that she reacts to things, which is generally a little less um, judgy than I react to things. And I find that it's like integrated into my person because we spent so much time together and talked so much. I feel the same about you, but like the opposite. Now I like judge things more. I'm like, oh my God, I can like have an opinion. Like, I love this. No, like in a good way. I'm just like, fuck it. Like I have an opinion. I don't like this thing. And I do like this thing as opposed to being like, it's all good. It's like not all good. Like we, we really balance each other in this way. Like, I love it. I really, I I really, really think we do. I mean, I feel totally changed after listening to like, just hearing Charlotte's knee jerk reactions, which are so often very different from mine and being like, oh, I don't have to be having these knee jerk reactions to things. Um, Singing, I'm sure it's come into my singing, but honestly, I haven't done enough public singing to really like have a feeling of like what that would be. Jury's like. still out. Um, <laughs> jury's yeah. out. I should probably actually expand the question because I think I have noticed such a change in my voice since since just being like, you know what, I'm gonna get off the hamster wheel. At some point, maybe I'll sing in public again. And I'm I'm interested in what has opened up for both of you vocally since doing this podcast and like letting your voices be heard um I it's kind of hard for me to know what exactly is the podcast because I found a new teacher right about the same time that I was that we started the podcast um so I feel very different technically um a totally different approach super super slow kind of similar to how we do the podcast honestly like really like small technical things, no rush into rep. I didn't sing rep for months. I was doing like vocalises every day, every lesson, only vocalises. It was incredible. Um, and I feel like they went really hand in hand, like the, what, I, what the work Charlotte and I was, were doing and the things I was doing in my lessons. So my voice feels totally, completely changed. Um, but it's hard to know. It's a combination of the two, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, I would also say it's a combination of definitely the podcast has helped me um, turn off a lot of thoughts in my head that I think were probably happening when I was singing as like a really visceral, like an easy example I'd pull up is that I I don't hear the same things in my head that I used to hear when I sing um, because I just feel like I've been more truthful out loud. So those things don't just sit in my head. Um. And like the worries that I had about the industry don't sit in my head when I sing. Like it was just like a constant, you know, we all know what that is. Like the things that pop up when you hear yourself sing. Um, And I would say additionally, like the parallel line that's happening at the same time is just like, I in general just feel a lot better about like my world and like my life and like the, the choices I'm making and like who I'm becoming and like that just makes singing a lot easier because I'm just not, you know, it's a singing is a really like 
telling part of like how you're doing emotionally. And I'm just like, I don't know, I'm not like serving 40 hours a week and then running to Shetler. So like, yeah, I'm singing a lot better. You know what I mean? Like, but, mm-hmm. but I don't know exactly how yet, but I just, um, I, I've had more than one person, teacher, coach, like fellow singer be like, you have to be like dumb when you sing, like you have to stop, like no thoughts. Like I am baby, no thoughts. And mm-hmm. like that I've realized is so true and I could never fucking do it. And now I kind of can, I can be like, okay, no thoughts, just singing. Like I can do it a lot more than I used to just cause I'm not like worried about a bunch of shit. And so like, yeah, the singing is better. Cause I'm not like thinking about it so much. It's like, you just get in your own way. Learning to sing is just getting out of your own fucking way. Like we all know that um, it's mm-hmm. a very natural occurrence in our body. If we just like vibe it out, that's my te- That's my, that's how I teach voice. <laughs> you just vibe it out guys. <laughs> that's the ultimate spiritual practice. <laughs> no, very much. Absolutely. Um, um, so at this point, you guys have released 13 episodes, if my count is correct. God, I didn't realize that. I know. <laughs> uh, you have a book club on yes. a platform that I ended up being too intimidated by. And uh, you've got a Patreon. You've started a line of merch that honestly is the funniest stuff I have ever seen. <laughs> it oh, makes me you. honestly <laughs> want to do an audition tour just so I can carry around that tote bag like opera's biggest donors are young artists Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) you always just want to like pick it (laughs) yeah (laughs) i want to wear like a shawl around me that says it (laughs) yes and um so uh, yeah the link for everything is in the show notes go support these women and as i understand now you're releasing a zine soon i actually yes i actually contributed Yes, it's a beautiful poem. Thank you, Gwendolyn. Oh, you're welcome. Um, yes, it's been really fun. I'm learning how to use this software, like magazine making software, which has been really, really fun. Very hard, but I'm very excited about it. Um, yeah, I think it'll be cool. It's going to be like really long. I didn't realize so how fun. long it was going to be. <laughs> that is like the name of the game with your podcast. Though, like- yeah, isn't that, isn't that the truth? <laughs> I love how you always come in and post and you're like, this ended up being way longer than we thought. Yeah. I don't know what <laughs> this we is think. a chat like, of be 20 half minutes. an hour. Like they're never like it takes us half an hour we're, to warm oh. up, you know? Like <laughs> we're always like shocked and appalled. Like, how could this have happened? Like it didn't happen 12 other times before <laughs> this. <laughs> um, which also we are actually 20 minutes over what I told you guys. So um thank you no so much for your time. And thank you um for having us. How can people follow you? Um, at thrilled to announce with three, are we still three E's? Yes, we are still three E's. E's. Thrilled to announce E-E-E. Um, on Instagram. Yeah. We have a website, thrilled to announce.com. It's really cute. Please visit it. Perry worked so hard on it. (laughs) Um, and Charlotte has a great bio on it. I was just rereading it the other day. I'm going to like put it in my Um, resume, literally. You should. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think those are the main ways we use Instagram the most. We keep trying. Oh, we have a Substack that you can sign up for, um, but Instagram is like the place that we like update um, and do our little memes. Yeah, and yeah it's all it about the memes, memes, really. Mm-hmm. It's all about the memes. Yeah, um, yeah. Your Instagram is a joy to follow, and uh, I am. I bow to your Instagram because I'm starting <laughs> to have to build mine and I'm like so intimidated. I'm like, oh my God, yeah, this is I get that. It's stressful. It's We're always like, fuck, we haven't posted in three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Thank you so much. Thank you. It's always such a nice time to talk to you, Gwendolyn. Oh my God. Let this not be the last time. Oh my God. No. No, no. I hope you enjoyed our chat. Charlotte and Perry are just a delight to talk to and to listen to. You can find all the links we talked about in the show notes, including their Patreon and merch, and I encourage you to go and support them. Also, listeners, a reminder to sign up for your audition pep talks. Seven little pep talks sent to you over seven weeks to remind you why your voice matters and give you a new way of looking at things this audition season. The link is in the show notes. Also, I would love to hear from you. Take a voice memo of yourself telling me what it means to you to make it and email it to me at makingitinopera at gmail.com. I may feature it on an upcoming episode. This podcast is a production of Sounds Like Cool with editing by me and production help from Sarah Decker. Theme music is Our Block Party by Reactor Productions. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, remember to subscribe, leave us some love on Apple Podcasts, and check us out on Instagram at makingit.opera to stay updated and become part of the conversation. You can also go to makingitinopera.com or follow the link in the show notes to support the podcast. I'm Gwendolyn Kuhlman. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.